Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Classic Lenses podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm hosting this podcast from Stoke-on-Trent in the UK. Joining me today are Carl Havens in Gainesville, Florida. Hello, Carl. Good morning and sorry for the poor quality of my audio today. I left my good headset at home after recovering from Belgian ale at a party on Saturday night. We're not meant to feel sorry for you there, are we, Carl? No. Sure, yeah, I can do a little bit of that. And bright and bushy-tailed, uh, after three hours sleep, I think, uh, we've got uh, Johnny Sisson in Chicago. Hello, Johnny. Uh, hi there. <clears throat> I'm here with my pot of coffee. I'm, I'm, I'm hitting it. We're good. Good morning. In the previous podcast, uh, we had a, another talk about Minolta lenses with Per Edmund. Uh, and that was two episodes on the trot where we talked about Minolta. So I think we've done Minolta for a while now. But before we move on to this week's topics, here's Johnny with some feedback from the previous two weeks. All right. Um, although I do think, Simon, before we turn it up to 11, we do want to know what you were up to last week because we didn't podcast last week. You were doing something special, yes? Yeah, that, that's right. And uh, I do, do apologize for uh, not being able to do the podcast last week. Um, and it was because I was at the photography show at the Birmingham NEC in the UK. Um, I was there for four days, uh, constantly talking to people about adapting um, old lenses to uh, modern digital cameras on the K&F concept, concept stand. And it was a really, really great event. It was incredibly busy from suddenly from about 10.30, 11 o'clock each day up until around about 4.30. It was almost constant talking to people about adapting lenses. And it was getting to the point where it would take me two hours to eat a sandwich. Yeah, you know, there, there were. It was. It was almost like um, St. Patrick's Day in Chicago with uh, with one barman, and I was the barman. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I was just going to say, Simon, <laughs> that would be great practice if you want to come work at Central Camera because that pretty much sounds like every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, Do I, when do we get to have lunch? Oh, after you talk to twelve more people about cameras. So, but that yeah. that sounds great. It sounds like you had a fantastic event, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was absolutely fantastic. It was it was brilliant, and uh, I met lots of people there. Um, I think I managed to recruit uh, a few people to the podcast and to the uh, to the Facebook group as well. So um, mm -hmm. if you are if you are listening there, uh, then uh, you know, well done for making it here. Um, uh, I appreciate yeah. that. Um, and also, mm -hmm. I met up with. Uh, uh, Graham and Rachel from the Sunny 16 podcast. Uh, now, the Sunny 16 podcast is quite an established podcast, and they uh, every week they talk about analog photography, uh, film photography. And I, I'm a avid listener. I've been working my way through. I think they've done about 90 episodes. I'm on about wow. Uh, <laughs> I'm on episode 41 or 42 at the moment. I'm I'm doing them in order. Um, and I was I was chatting to him. And I, I was saying to him that you know, I get quite annoyed with them at times because they they're very much about the photography and less about the equipment and they'll have guests on or they'll be talking about a, a certain Helios lens and then they'll, one of them will say I'm not sure what the focal length is or some, something on those lines and I'm like shouting at them you know they're saying no it's a, it's a 58 f2 you know that's that's what it is and and then there was another another comment uh, was made about um, a Helios 
28 millimeter, and then it was then described as a Russian lens. And I was like, it, it's not, it's not, it's not a Russian lens. It's a Japanese lens with a Helios badge, <laughs> you know, and, and and things like that. So I was chatting to them there, and uh, they 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 felt that uh, they needed to get me on the show. So after. I've done the editing uh, later today for this program. I'm actually a guest on there, so uh, that should be a really interesting experience. Um, wow. When I know when it goes out, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll put a post up about that. Outstanding. Yeah. That's great. I, um, Enjoy. i got to say, I felt really bad for you at that camera show based on the pictures that you posted on the, on the Facebook page. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, was, it was it really rough. Yeah, it was it was tough working with those two models. It it, it was, but uh, you know, I I made it through the four days with them. <laughs> All right. Well, let's. Uh, shall we get into the uh, comments, gentlemen? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, uh, following up on comments from episode ten, which was our Minolta lens follow up uh, program, um, uh, James Giordano uh, followed on what what Pear had mentioned that the best in quotes is very subjective. Um, all in agreement, I think, on that. Uh, that's what makes it interesting, though, is to figure out what is the best, right? Um, Rob Wolf made a great case for building an affordable set of Minolta lenses, especially as a um, user new to uh, to manual lenses. Uh, so I would take a look through that. Um, might be a really good one for anyone looking to get into shooting with uh, manual focus lenses, that Minoltas can be a great way to do it. Um, and Ben was just shocked, I guess, that I bashed the FD 35 to 70 zoom lens. Um, I'll try to be nicer to it in, in the future, I promise, Ben. Uh, also, Svetlana Belinsky mentioned that we really had not discussed the MRO cores, which are the um, M mount lenses for Minolta and uh, Leica, uh, Leica cameras. Um, I would love to talk about those at some point. I don't have a lot of firsthand experience with them. I don't know if the rest of us here in the group do, but um, they are beautiful lenses and I hope that we can talk about those at some time. Um, jumping over to feedback on MF Lenses Forum, uh, Tom Shepard there, who's known as Old Hand, and he is indeed an old hand on that forum. Um, he mentioned that we he would like to see us talk about families of uh, lenses or design families such as Sonar, Ernestar, um, et cetera, which I think we'll get into a bit today talking about um, 135 millimeter lenses. I think we're going to get into some sonar discussion. Um, and then uh, jumping over to hot topics this week on photography with classic lenses. Uh, David Winton um, mentioned that he was taking a, a risk of getting flamed, which I don't think he did. It was a great question. But but he, he had mentioned um, what lenses do we love because it's really the only lens capable of producing a particular image. So that was a, a, a big conversation that I think is still ongoing at the moment. You might want to check that out. And of course, Mehdi Bulasa. He mentioned, um, wanted to know what folks' favorite 35 millimeter focal length lens was. So we've got a good conversation going on there. So special lenses. Uh, Simon, what's top of your list? Um, I think the most obvious lens that I own that uh, the, the effect of just simply cannot be, or not easily, uh, um, uh, made to happen with uh, Photoshop and a, and a, and a normal uh, normal lens will be the Helios 40 with its uh, soft soft looks and uh, potential swirly bokeh. How about you, Johnny? Um, I definitely got to go with the um, Canon 50mm 1.2 LTM lens. Um, it it To me, I, I, I have other 1.2s, but none of them do what that lens does. I mean, it, it 
if you have something in the foreground, it looks like the background is literally an oil painting hung behind the main subject. It's the three dimensionality is just uh, crazy. So that would be mine for sure. What, what do you got, uh, Carl? So I guess the lens that I'm really liking right now, um, which I've always thought was a fantastic lens on my um, smaller um, sensor cameras is the cheap FL Canon 51.4. On the Sony, even wide open, the lens produces that 3D pop that you're talking about. The bokeh is just spectacular, and um, it's probably one of my favorite lenses right now. And I think you can still buy it for about $60. Nice. Yeah. So how about I talk a little bit about this other post that we had. on the Facebook page last week, early last week, I think it was, I put up a post and I asked members which um, of their 135 lenses was their favorite and also, you know, how many did they own and what were they? And I can't list them all. It was too many, um, probably more than 50, maybe as many as 100. Um, there were several members that said they had a dozen. There was uh, someone who said they had dozens. Um, a lot of people said many. I counted between nine and fifteen for some folks, which is kind of about the same with me. I think I've had fifteen. Um, and then we had we had some lenses that I've never even heard of before, and ones that I have but can't afford to own or, or maybe haven't thought of paying it as much. Um, one interesting one um, that I looked at after the, the question was, um, could we talk about a P. Angino Paris one thirty five? And um, so I can't because I've not had that, and I don't think you guys have either. And there's two of two different um, varieties of that. There's one that's around three hundred dollars on eBay, and then there's one that's thousands of dollars on eBay. Mm-hmm. And this is the three hundred dollar one. But my um, experience with one thirty fives is interesting in that um, I haven't bought one that's been more than a hundred dollars. Um, I've always viewed these as lenses that are kind of on the budget side because I think maybe this supply demand ratio is way off with these lenses. I don't know that a lot of people think of these as the lens to, to buy when you're starting to get into classic lenses. So I think there are a lot of them kicking around on eBay compared to fast fifties and you can still pick up decent ones for 50 to a hundred dollars. And, um, so this Pangino Paris lens, $300, maybe it's a fantastic lens. We can talk later. I've sort of fallen out of love with 135s right now, but, um, that's another topic. So we had 118 responses, and I think they're still going on that particular thread. And then it was interesting because I was thinking, well, I wonder how people use 135 millimeter lenses. And, and in the context of how did people use them back in the day when they first came out and folks were shooting on film, and I, and I thought it was, well, people were probably buying them back then as portrait lenses. And um, But when I, when I started buying them, I had migrated from having just fast 50s to noticing, oh, you can get 135s for 25 or $30 and, and started to buy some. And I was then using them like I was using my fast 50s and I was, I was shooting focus shots and flowers and things like that. And I kind of migrated into, I, I looked on my Flickr page, I've got some distant shots of people fishing on fishing piers. and I've, I have some... Um, photos that are that are nature shots and also portraits but and the uh, we didn't get a lot of responses but i'd say 70 percent of the people said uh, portrait shooting so that was another one and that's and the second common most common response was i don't use them very much so uh, 
that's what we got on those on those two posts that continue to roll along. And like you said, um, David went and got more responses to his question that we got on the uh, original post. He had 196 replies, and they keep coming in. Um, and his post about um, collecting knives, and then um, and then what are we interested in in regard to collecting um, lenses for their character? So that was a really nice addition to that post. Yeah. Well, um, Tom Shepard. Uh, made another post on the mflensesforum.com uh, thread that we have uh, for the for the podcast, and uh, where he clairvoyantly predicted that that's what this week's <laughs> podcast was going to be talking about um, the one three five lenses. And uh, and uh, Carl, when you just said that you've you've sort of fallen out of love with one three five lenses, you you need to book your ideas up and start to uh, be in love with one three five lenses. Because seems that that's what we're going to be talking about um, now. One of the, Whoa. as I was say, one of the the things about one three fives is it used to be uh, one of the. I mean, people keep on talking about um, holy trinities of, uh, of of lenses, but you can't quite fit that into uh, in, in, into these because there's there's too many of them. But one hundred and thirty five um, was certainly one of the main focal lengths of um, of of film camera users, uh, with thirty five being one, fifty millimeter, eighty five. And one three five were very very common focal lengths, and certainly like the the mainstay if you like. And I think it was the the advent of um, digital and in, probably in particular um, high quality zoom lenses, uh, things like the eighty to two hundred two point eight and things like that, that pretty much um, signalled the end of uh, one hundred thirty five millimeter as a as a mainstream focal length, um, but. Yeah, there are a lot of people that still use them as uh, long portrait lenses. Um, I think the the main benefit is, especially this is when you're talking about shooting them on full frame, of course, is that you can stand further back from the model. Um, I mean, sometimes that that can be an absolute advantage uh, to be to be further back, um, and you know, it's, it's easier to blow the background out. You haven't necessarily got to have a an ultra fast lens to do that. Because if you're doing trying to blow the background out at 85 millimeter then you to get the same effect as 135 at 2.8 you you need to have a, a faster lens probably 85 at f2 is probably roughly the same same kind of uh, effect in terms of blowing blowing the background out so it would mean that you could get a a good quality portrait lens at a, at a far lower price and and that was one of the other things we've we've uh, we've not talked about it too much about lenses and uh, old lenses in general but it's it certainly is the case that there are not many, if any, uh, poor 35 millimeter, 50 millimeter, 85 millimeter, and 135 millimeter lenses because they were always the lenses that um, any self-respecting lens manufacturer would really put effort in, um, and largely because everybody else made good lenses at those focal lengths as well, so they just had to be good. Look. Let me elaborate a little bit on what I said about falling out of love with the lenses and give it some context to be fair. So um, when I started to collect 135s, I had my Olympus EM1, and I thought it I thought it was just a wonderful lens. And I think the Jupiter 11 was the first one that I bought. And then it kind of went on through the Super Tuckamars. I had a 135 3.5, and then I thought, well, I should get a 2.8, and then a 2.5. And, uh, and, and I, I went through 16 different... 135s, and I have two left out of all those. I have the Jupiter 11, which I still think is the best one, and I have the, the it's, well, it's, it's branded uh, Vivitar, but it's a Kamini-made 
135 2.8. And um, so now I'm shooting a Sony full frame and I have a, an Olympus 185 2.8. So I've got a fast, longer lens that's just phenomenal in isolating subjects and blurring the background out. And um, so after using that for a couple of weeks and then popping a 135 on this week, I was disappointed with the result. And it makes sense because I'm not getting the look that I was liking with that with that longer, fast lens. So I, I think that's what, I, that's what I'm saying. So, Johnny, you showed a lot of photos of 135s. What, what do you think about them? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I... My um my experience with one three fives, I actually not sure how relevant it'll be necessarily to this conversation in terms of classic lenses, because the one I've shot the most is the Canon one thirty five f two L, the autofocus lens, which I've shot a lot commercially. Um, I, I have basically a whole portfolio uh, that's more or less founded on that lens. Most of my commercial work has been documenting um, theater productions and doing theater production photography. And I've used the 135 extensively for that as both a um, kind of a long portrait lens for uh, headshots of actors and then also for, you know, documenting the actual production on stage, usually from a couple rows back in the seats, um, where it's a really, really good lens to get from that distance to get a couple of. Uh, actors interacting so that's been my main um, but that's been all autofocus I mean I wouldn't even attempt to do that work with a manual focus 135 um, that's been all autofocus so I do have uh, t you know two or three 135 lenses I think I probably used them more back in the film days pre-digital before there even you know was digital and I, I still have some now uh, but it's really not a focal length I, I use a whole lot. Um, and I think it, you know, it kind of goes back to the conversation we're just having about, all right, well, it re what really is the the purpose of a 135 lens? And I, I do think it's interesting to to look back and think about where the heck they came from <laughs> and and what the intended use was from the very beginning. Um, and if we want to go all the way back to where they came from, um, the 135 was part of the original set of interchangeable lenses that went with the Leica 1, which was introduced in 1930. So, uh, you know, with the Leica 1, you had a 35-35 Elmar, a 50-35 Elmar, and a 135-35 Elmar. And th the reason, I think, for that kit was, first of all, you, I mean, you had a, a somewhat wide angle, a normal, and then a longer lens. And... But to me, the purpose of the 135, especially thinking about it on a, on a screw mount Leica, um, I think, my theory, is that that lens was really intended to be used at infinity, basically locked on infinity, as a hiking lens. And I think if you understand the Germans and their craziness for mountain hiking and how that goes back to right about the same era that the Leica was invented or or thought of, I mean, it was even thought of as a, as a small easily transportable camera that would have been used when you're out hiking, right? So to me, the 135 is a perfect lens if you lock it at infinity and you're climbing around, hiking around in the mountains and you want to take a long-distance landscape shot. It's perfect for that. Because otherwise, on a screw mount Leica, trying to get accurate focus at 135, you're, I mean, it's, you're really kind of pushing the, the limits of what you can do accurately with that lens. So to me, the 135 kind of goes back to this um, very particular use. And even then going forward, 
you know, people are saying, well, how often are you really even using that 135 on your screw mount Leica? Um, it's just really at the limits of, you know, rangefinder accuracy and also even hand holding it steadily, right? Um, so that, you know, going all the way back to the 1930s, um, people were kind of questioning what the purpose of that was. And then I, I have this really interesting book that I pulled out last night thinking about having this conversation. And the title of this book is Miniature Camera Technique and it's written by Fenwick Small, and the date on this book is 1940. So you figure by miniature camera, they were talking about 35 millimeter cameras because they really were miniature cameras compared to what people had been using before that. And this is only 10 years after the Leica had been introduced. And what's really interesting to me looking in this book is they talk about the lenses that a miniature camera user might wanna get. And they talk about wide angles and they talk about a selection of lenses and they even kind of even at this point in time there's a little bit where they they sort of say well if you're gonna get a set of lenses um, probably don't first go for the lens you're only gonna use once or twice a year and they talk about the 135 so it, it's really interesting to me that this is kind of always been a conversation about 135 lenses um, and I, I think to understand this lens and its role in you know, photography and where it comes from, it really comes down to economics. I mean, a 135 lens um, is really easy to make. Even going all the way back to the Leica kit, a 135 LMAR is just a, uh, it's basically the same formula as a 50 on a long tube with the, with the elements spaced out a little further. So it's an easy lens to make. It's always been an easy lens to make well. Um, and, you know, going back up into the SLR era, the film SLR era, it was one of those key kit lenses that you would get with your, uh, your, your film SLR. So you'd probably almost certainly get your camera with a 50 millimeter lens. And then the two lenses that you would be most likely to add in would be a 28 millimeter and a 135. And both of those lenses, um, are, are really common, really cheap. They were cheap to manufacture. It's pretty easy to make a good 28 and pretty easy to make a good uh, 135. Hard to make a good 35, hard to make a good 85, right? So it all comes down to me, if you look at it, um, the economics of uh, manufacturers making lenses. And what seems to be, if you're just starting out with photography, it seems to make a lot of sense to have a short telephoto lens and it can do a lot of things. And it can to a degree, um, but I think that that same conversation and those same maybe critiques or criticisms of 135s have always existed is that, well, it can kind of do portraits, but you're better at, to get, you know, an 85. It can kind of do telephoto, but you really need a 200, especially if you're doing, you know, birding or something like that. So it's kind of this odd focal length and really always has been. Um, and as Simon mentioned, it was really kind of totally replaced once we got into the you know, even into the 1980s, the end of the film era, it was, it, it became um, the 70 to 200, 70 to 210 variable aperture zooms as they got better. They really replaced the 135 as that, that lens that you would have to cover the longer end. And then by the time we're in the digital era, it just completely disappears. And it's been replaced by, I would say, far inferior um, 75 to 200, 300 lenses that, you know, come in the kit. Um, along with the 18 to 55. So um, I think it's a lens that uh, is interesting, can be very interesting, but exists because of um, the economics of producing it for manufacturers. So, 
Yeah. One, one of the things that you said that's interesting, and um, I think um, optically, one of the nicest 135s I've had is the Voigtlander um, Super Dynarex, which is an old lens with that interesting DKL mouth, right. uh, which is hard to find an adapter for. It's a very short lens. It's um, it's a very slim lens, like the Jupiter, the slim Jupiter 11 version, but much shorter, and um, and it has a, a a minimum focus distance of almost, I think it's 18 feet. Yeah. But, but 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 if the use of it primarily was to take it walking, and shoot an infinity at distant landscapes, people wouldn't have been concerned about that. So yeah. when I bought when I bought it, it concerned me immediately because I thought, well, God, I, I can't get a good shot with any bokeh. And so I got a, a you know, helicoid adapter for the thing. And um, so I was using it in a way that it was never designed to be used, I suspect. Uh, yeah, and I I think that's a great uh, thought because it seems to me that the way we see 135s being used mainly in the photography with classic lenses group is as uh, bokeh lenses. And actually, if you think about it for a minute, that probably the best... Um, justification for a 135 lens is that it's the lens that can pull out and isolate and highlight a particular detail and it really always has been that so maybe ultimately that really is what a 135 is good for and in an interesting way it's probably a more useful lens now that people use it as a, like a bokeh lens than it ever maybe was in the past um and I think I think you're totally right, Carl. That 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 very long minimum focus distance is because you were probably going to be using that lens pretty much locked up at infinity for those distant shots while you're out, you know, walking or doing something. So yeah. um, maybe maybe we're in the 135 Renaissance years here. <laughs> 135s. Uh, um, when you mentioned there about landscape, um, that's something that I I do use 135s for landscape. Uh, because it's it's good for picking out detail. But so plenty of times when you're taking a landscape shot, and you know, people think about landscape lenses as being wide angle. Well, wide angle lenses only really work if you've got an interesting foreground. Uh, yeah. Whereas if you've you've got something a little bit longer, and uh, a one three five is an ideal length, you can you can recompose the photograph and and use the compression uh, between the you know with the, with the distances, especially if you've got rolling hills and things like that, and you can like build up layers as it goes up the shot. One three fives are absolutely fantastic for that, and I remember. I had a, uh, it's almost like the sister lens to the uh, the Voigtlander that Carl was mentioned there. I had the, um, it was a retina lens. I think it's a Schneider Telezenar, I think, mm -hmm. I think it is. And it's a same same focal length and speed, a 135 f4. And I remember I, I did a test on, on that lens against my uh, modern Sigma 120 to 400. And I'm not sure if I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but um, my my Sigma is one of the one of the good ones. But that lens is notorious uh, for for good ones and bad ones. But mine, mine's a good one. But I I I set it at uh, one three five and just did a side by side test against this uh, fifty year old Schneider, and the the Schneider just absolutely walked it. It was so much better. Yeah, you know, if you were going to do pixel peeping, but that was a shot at at infinity um, yeah and, it, and again it had the same issues as as carl's and the, the the minimum focus distance on it was appalling and i i got into 135s 
in recent times with the the Jupiter 11 um, initially with a micro four thirds camera so it was a 270 millimeter lens but I used it as a walk around lens in exactly the same way as I know that Carl did as well and it was just just great for for picking out um, details with and it's it's strange now that I've I moved to full frame but I, I tend not to use it on full frame as much as I did it um, on micro four thirds yet I wouldn't even think about using a 270 mil lens on, on full frame <laughs> as a walk around lens so it's I, I, i'm not really sure why that is i don't know you know when i um, got rid of the olympus and i bought my fuji which i still have i put the jupiter 11 on it and i thought it was wonderful it was it was like a, it was a lens made for the camera and um so i haven't been using that camera too much lately but it, it, it produced really nice results and um i have an adapter on order and when it arrives I'll give it a I'll give it a try on the uh, on the Sony. You got to realize I live in North Central Florida, and all we have are big oak trees all around. And it's kind of like living in a jungle, so we don't have any landscapes here. Unless yeah, I, 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 I have the same thing in reverse of uh, Carl. I live in the Midwest, and it's just flat. There's nothing here except you know the city skyline. Um, but I, you know, it's funny what you were saying, uh, Simon, about it being a good walk-around lens. And I was thinking about the last time I really loved using my 135 lens for non-commercial work, and it was in Ireland. And it was because there are these rolling hills everywhere, which is sort of like the landscape that you have. And I, you know, your your um, I, one thing I've really always enjoyed about your work. Simon is those uh, walk-around shots you do where you are up in the hills and you're kind of doing pulling this detail out of a landscape and it got it but the, that part of the world lends itself so well to that type of shooting because you have like these multiple layers of hills you have that little cottage on the landscape or that really interesting tree or whatever and you can kind of compress the foreground and background and really highlight that one element so you know 135 is yeah i think it's brilliant for that um uh, so yeah, maybe that really is the best use for it. So send all your 135s to Simon, and he will distribute <laughs> them to everyone in the UK. So there you go. Well, well and Simon, you, you took a fantastic photo, and I don't know whether you posted it on Instagram or Facebook, but um, it was last week of two geese flying, and um, I think you might have shot it with your Jupiter 11, and it was it was just outstanding. The the background blur because you were moving the the camera, and um, I could take that kind of picture here because we have. Oh, he did that on film now. Come on. He did it on film? Oh, you got yeah. he did it on film too? He, wow. Yes, he did it on film, Carl. Yeah, of wow. course I did it on film. It was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was on a 1960 Zenit C SLR, the kind that doesn't even have a, a thumb wind on it. Um, so you, you have to turn turn the dial to wind the film on. So it was a case of oh. um, you get one go. It's it's action shots, but it takes you around about ten seconds to uh, between shots. Um, but I I was just it was it was a it was a lucky shot. It it was certainly wasn't uh, a planned shot. And I was just just standing there. I saw the geese flying towards me, and I've got some experience of uh, shooting birds in flight with manual focus lenses. I mean, that's one of the areas why I, I got into the subject because 
my uh, Olympus OM1 with uh, subject tracking, uh, continuous autofocus was just appalling. It would just focus on trees behind the bird. Um, and so I thought, I can just do this better myself. And uh, so I, I got into it there. But yeah, I saw these birds fly, flying towards me. Um, I didn't have a an opportunity to check my shutter speed or anything like that. It was a case of, I knew that the shutter speed was right for the light that was there, but I didn't even know what the shutter speed was at the time. But I think it was probably about a 60th of a second or some, something like that. So um, again, the, the beauty of learning to use a manual focus lens with, with, with wildlife and birds in flight is that you get to instantly compose your shot and focus uh, focus your image where where you want it to be focused whereas you know, with most autofocus cameras you tend to uh, point it at the middle of the frame and crop it or uh, or the middle of the frame and uh, and then move it to one side but you can't really do that with birds in flight so mm. either you take it centrally or you've got a, a camera that's got so many uh, focus points you can focus off uh, off, off center but that's uh, that's a pretty uh, trusting thing to do with 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 a camera. So, so the the main the upshot was, you know, I'm used to using a manual focus lens. I saw them flying across, and I was able to you know, zip them into focus and press the button. And I had no idea it was going to come out as 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 well as that. So, um, so yeah, that was a it was it's a good shot. But it was also a very lucky shot. So while we're talking about um, Jupiter 11s, because that's what you used to think that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so right. I was Someone asked me um, what 135 should I buy. Um, that, that's probably the lens that I would recommend based on the ones that I've had. And um, it's interesting that there are two very different looking versions of it. The one that I have, which is a very narrow cylindrical lens, and then there's one that gets very wide at the middle. I wonder, is the lens formula the same? Why why are they so different looking from one another? Well, there the definitely is a difference between the models. Um, something that uh, Imon um, last, I think it was last week, he, he pointed out uh, on a on a on a post about Jupiter 11. So I'm not sure if it was my post or not, um, but he, he asked me if my LTM 39 uh, version vignetted on full frame on on my Sony, and I I didn't actually know. Um, I've had many. Uh, Jupiter 11s. It's one of my favourite lenses, and uh, whenever one comes into my hands, I'll always test it against the one that I've got, and I keep the best one. And my my current best is a is an M42 version, and um, and that doesn't vignette. And the M42 version is the uh, the the stubby one. Um, Carl, you've got the con the uh, Kiev contacts version, and right. which looks very, very similar to the LTM thirty nine. Uh, it's just the difference is is the base of the mount. Although, uh, interestingly, the actual <coughs> excuse me, the focus direction is uh, is opposite on the one that you have to to the rest of them. Um, so yours focuses similarly to a Pentax or a Nikon. Uh, where the um, the LTM thirty nine and the M forty two one they focus in the way that most cameras focus, uh, like like uh, like Canon for instance. But one thing I I, I noticed though uh, from the, from the question uh, that Imon poised was about the vignetting. Um, I went out and tried this LTM thirty nine, which is a, it was a, a really good version of it. I put it onto the Sony and I and it did vignette, um, which was a you know a bit of a shock to me because I've only ever really used it on on crop sensors before. Um, so there must be a physical difference um, between the M forty the M forty two version and the uh, 
the LTM39 and the Contax KF. Actually, the Contax KF, there's another difference as well because it also has a, a shorter minimum focus distance compared to the LTM39 as well. So um, there's, 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 I don't know if that's just because the helicoid uh, is um, has got more reach on it uh, with the uh, Contax, uh, Contax Kiev mount or whether there's actually an optical difference as well. So um, the fact that you know, one vignettes and the and the other doesn't. It, it would suggest that it's not just the same lens; it's uh, bodied differently. I don't know if you know right. any more about that, uh, Johnny. Uh, I'm going to pause for a second. I was looking okay. something up while you were. You know, um, um, I said that you know, if someone asked what, what lens I'd recommend they buy, I, I would tell them a Jupiter, and that's probably the first one. But if they wanted to spend a, a considerably smaller amount of money. I, I'm almost certainly going to tell them to find a Vivitar 135 2.8. And then I would tell them to, to be really careful because Vivitar doesn't make lenses. Vivitar sells lenses made by a whole bunch of different companies. And so look um, at the serial number. And we'll post a, a link about this particular one that's made by Kamini. And they, they made two versions, and one is really good, and the other one didn't seem so great. Um, but the serial number starts with 28. So that's one of the things to look for. And then um, when you hold the lens and look at the lens barrel, the focus ring is made out of metal, doesn't have a rubber grip, and it has grooves cut in it, but the grooves are parallel to the body of the lens. It's not a crosshatch thing. Um, and I've tried some of the other ones, and they aren't so great. But this lens is really, really nice, and um, I think still in the $50 range, almost mint condition one on eBay. I think that might be a lens that we we're going to say with uh, we're going to pronounce the name differently. Uh, was like, I I would call that okay. co mine and co mine. Yeah, uh, okay. but I've, I've, I've also heard people call them co-mine. So uh, if I think co mining was that character on uh, Harry Potter movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right there, right there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if anybody if anybody listening knows the correct pronunciation, uh, could you tell Carl because his is definitely wrong. <laughs> Um, actually, on the on the subject of that uh, that lens made by the company beginning with a K, um, <laughs> the, uh, the the version that Carl was um, was was talking about there, as in the uh, the acknowledged to be better version, uh, one of the, it's it's not just because of the uh, design design of the body that's that's the best way to actually recognise it, but the the actual uh, reason for the difference is. Um, and that's the older version that we're talking about here. Is the the younger versions um, have one element less, so they're actually a, a physically different optical design. Yeah. Um, another uh, thing that, uh, to differentiate them, although this isn't a hard and fast rule, is that the the older one uh, uses an eight blade aperture, whereas the later ones use a six blade aperture. So if you've got a six blade aperture one uh, and it's got a rubberized grip, then that's that's the later cheaper version and it just simply isn't as good um, but there is a there is a crossover model I believe um, so you can get um, the older the older style optics uh, with the newer shape um, and I think that one has also got an eight blade aperture before it went over to the six blade but I'm not 100% sure of that but I'm, I've picked one up before and I couldn't tell the difference between them but I've certainly noticed the difference between the eight blade and the the, the six blade Right, and this one and this one has a retractable lens, and it's quite firm, so it stays out when you pull it out. And the one I have is just wonderful because it has a beautiful Canon breeze lock 
uh, mount, which is one of my favorites and one, I, one of Johnny's favorite mounts too, I think. But anything else to say about 135 millimeter lens? That's, 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 that's <laughs> no, all we got. There are there are more Jupiters. So um, <laughs> I, I, I was going to say I think I think Simon uh, was asking me a question about, um, and I might have missed part of it, but the difference between maybe the same lens um, in two different mounts, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the yeah. two, the two, the M forty two Jupiter eleven and the LTM thirty nine slash the Kiev contacts mount. So I, without even looking at the formula, I'm going to just kind of off the top of my head say they are probably entirely different lens formulas because uh, this is one thing about they might be called the same thing, but it doesn't at all mean that they're the same optical formula because we're talking about a a rangefinder lens versus an SLR lens. And to me, this is a really kind of fascinating thing about 135 lenses. And, you know, in, in terms of um, lens nomenclature and lens design and et cetera, et cetera, a lot of these lenses we're talking about that, you know, we we might be talking about a 135 um, sonar or a 135, you know, Tessar or whatever. But especially with lenses like the sonars, just because it gets called a sonar doesn't mean that it has anything to do with a sonar optical formula. And and I think this leads to confusion, certainly between um, different lenses, the same lens ma made for different mounts, because they really could be entirely different optical formulas, even though they're called the same thing. And again, I'm going to throw this one back at the manufacturers, and I'm looking at Zeiss on this one, is that, you know, sonar it does refer to a lens formula, but it's also a trademark name. And though they're happy to throw that name around if they think it's going to sell more lenses. So it, just because it gets called a sonar doesn't mean it has anything to do with actual old school sonar formula, right? Um, and I think this is where all this stuff gets really confusing, especially with the 135 lenses, because so many of them that we've mentioned, like I, I think you mentioned earlier, um, Simon, the the lens for the DKL mount, which uh, Tele Zenar, which is really just a Tessar on a tube, and a lot of the a lot of the older 135s, um, you know, like Elmar, etc., um, Zenar, etc. Those they're really ultimately they're just Tessars. They're Tessars on a on a longer tube, and that's why they perform so well, especially if you're, you know, mainly shooting them at their their furthest focus end. They're going to be fantastic i mean they're definitely going to outperform a modern you know 18 22 element you know variable slow aperture zoom lens they're probably going to just beat it up i mean in terms of optical quality because it's a much simpler design fewer elements it's probably going to really outperform it um, but all this stuff gets very um i think confusing when we start talking about longer lenses because the name of the lens doesn't necessarily relate to the actual optical formula right. so that and you'll see this i think if you start doing a little bit of research like i you know i was researching my 135 term paper last night for this conversation and it I, i'm looking at these 135 lens diagrams and they get called sonars whatever and they have nothing to do with the sonar formula it's just purely was the the name that got put on there probably because zeiss thought they could sell more of them so so I wonder if either of you know the answer to this. Um, I was looking last week at 135s on eBay, and um, so you can get a Pentacon 135 2.8. And if you're willing to spend, you know, I like to buy a lens that's really good quality. So 
maybe $150 or more, you can get the 15 blade one. And it's an F2.8. But there's also a Pentagon 135 2.8 that you can pick up a beautiful one for about $60. And it's six blades. So other than the blades being different, is it a different lens? I, I, I don't know the answer to that. It's it's something I, I, I looked at, looked into once, but I never really got much of an answer. There was, it yeah. seemed to suggest that the um, that the auto lens, the uh, the six blade version, um, might have been Carl Zeiss, um, or it might be exactly the same lens as the um, the fifteen blade, but without the fifteen blade. So I haven't got a definitive answer on that one, um, but I do have the fifteen blade uh, lens right in front of me at the moment because it was actually the first. Uh, uh, classic lens that I went out to physically buy. I mean, I've always owned that um, 51.4 planar, but that was nearly new when I bought it. So I don't class that as my first classic purchase. But this uh, this Pentacon uh, that I have in front of me, uh, which was previously known uh, in the Zebra days as the Mayer Optic uh, Oristore. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, that goes back a fair way. I actually prefer the the later they get, the, the better I like them, to be fair, because I think the coatings are better on them. Uh, but there's plenty of people out there that prefer the zebras, but I like the later ones. Um, but it's it's a beautiful lens. Um, it's a very weighty lens um, yeah, for, for what it is, because 135s don't all have to be heavy, especially the 2.8s, but the uh, the 15 blade Pentacon is. Um, but those, I'm just sitting here at the moment, just turning the, the aperture ring at the moment and just looking at the beautiful iris um, as, as, it, as it closes down. And it's just a it's just a, a thing of beauty, really. But it's it's also the the lens has got the the somebody gave it the nickname Boca Monster yes. as well, uh, which has uh, no doubt helped its resale value uh, uh, enormously. Um, but it's it is a great lens. I have no idea what the optical uh, formulation is of, of of this lens, but it's a lens that I don't use anywhere near nearly enough, and probably because I'm a big fan of the Jupiter Eleven. Um, yep. Because it's so it's so much lighter at the end of the day, and uh, it's I still get great great um, backgrounds with the Jupiter Eleven at f four uh, that I don't seem to really need that extra bit of speed uh, that the the two point eight Pentacon gives me. Yeah, well, if someone wants one, there's a one thirty five two point eight fifteen blade Boca Monster in excellent condition and it looks excellent <laughs> on eBay for ninety nine bucks with free shipping right now in the U S. <laughs> in the U S A. Yeah, no, I'm. I'm well, I'm almost ready to hit buy it now after I said I don't like 135 millimeter lenses. Oh, I thought you were selling it. Oh, no, I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm I thought you were this, plugging your own lens there. No, I'm looking at this picture of all these beautiful blades. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's, it's mesmerizing. <laughs> You've come all that. I, I'm, I'm, it's, I think it's on the list of uh, lenses that you must own uh, to call yourself a classic lens enthusiast. And, it, and, it's, and it's the black later one, the one that says German Democratic Republic. Uh, around the barrel, um, with, and with the white and green um, distance scale on it, and um, yeah, I don't know. I may, I may need to have one. We'll see. Press the ah. button. Press the button. Press it. Do it. It's only ninety nine dollars. Do it. You need it for new gear conversation yeah. next week. And I'm saving up for one of those one point one lenses that Simon got. Oh, well, more about that later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, just uh, just going back to Jupiter's, uh, there are also, I mean, we, we keep on talking about Jupiter 11s, um, but there are uh, later versions 
of, uh, of the of the Jupiter 11, no, notably the Jupiter 11A, and I think it's is it the Jupiter 37A, um, <coughs> which I think is a 3.5, top of my head. Um, and you, I read reviews on those and, uh, and many of the comments, and, and many people suggest those lenses are better uh, than the um, than the silver or sometimes zebra. Uh, Jupiter 11s, but I've never actually tried one, and and one of the reasons I've never tried one is because I've never attempted to buy one, and the reason why I've never attempted to buy one is because they just look ugly. Um, <laughs> and um, I, I know that's really shallow, but uh, um, I feel like I've I've got a, a fantastic uh, Jupiter 11, and I think well, if if a Jupiter 11A is slightly better. Um, would I would I want to use it with it looking so ugly? And the answer is no. So uh, um, I'm very happy with my bright, shiny uh, M42 uh, Jupiter 11. Thank you. So I bought an 11A two years ago, and um, see, comparing these things is, is is terrible because of the sample variation. So I don't you know I don't know whether I have a really good 11 or I got and I got a bad Jupiter 11A. Um, but I did compare them. I put them on a tripod, and I didn't post the pictures like you do. But um, I didn't see um, better quality with the 11A. I liked the 11 better. And the 11A was so heavy and ugly, and um, I sold it during that same week and got rid of it. I never had a 37A. Another 135 lens, um, which is very, very highly regarded, is the, um, and I don't, don't know if you actually pronounce it, Ter or Tair. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Uh, well, one of those, and, and there's the there's the eleven and the eleven A. The eleven is, I think, it's actually marked as a one three three millimeter, one hundred thirty three millimeter, uh, whereas the later eleven A is uh, is marked as a one three five. Yeah. And um, that I've had a couple of uh, the A's, but, and I haven't had the original one. And the photographs I've seen of the original one, I've, it seems to give better colours than the later one, but that could well be down to the, the two samples of the 11A uh, that I had. Um, I was utterly unimpressed with them, except the 21 blade aperture, which uh, um, is, is, just a, is just amazing. Although, to be fair, I actually prefer the look of the, 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 the Pentacom um, uh, 15 blades, but there you go. It's 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 great to be able to have uh, to look at those twenty one blades close closing down. Yeah. So, so Simon, what what about the Carl Zeiss Jenna sonar, which both of us have had, and we think it's a wonderful lens optically, but we don't like it for a reason that isn't really a good reason. Yeah, we, we're talking about the the, the <laughs> one three one three five three point five on that on M forty two. That's a it's it's a lens I really respect, and you do as well, Carl. And yeah. um, but I, I've never I've never loved it. I've always had good results out of it. It's a really sharp lens. There's there's nothing yeah from the actual pictures that it produces. There's there's it's a it's a great great lens, and um, the, the you know it's not the cheapest lens out there for for good reason. Um, and in fact, actually, I've I've tried a number of the uh, West German one three five two point eights. Um, and you get more chromatic aberration with the the Zeiss T-Star lens than you, you do with the with the older Jena lens. Um, mm. It's 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 actually wow. the older lens is, is better shooting into the sun than the uh, than the you know the the the, the T-Star lens. But my my biggest criticism of the 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 one three five three point five Zeiss is um, it just feels horrible to me. I just I really really dislike uh, the 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 focus ring grip. It just it's mm. it's nulled and it seems to be nulled 
just a little bit too sharp, so it digs into your fingers. And uh, <laughs> right. so, it has all those diamonds. Yeah. It has all those plastic diamonds all around it. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's going to cut your hand. Yeah, yep, yep. So great, great lens. Respect it hugely. Don't like it. Is uh, is 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 a thing on that one. I, I think I want to just bring up the subject of. Um, and we we can talk about this because it's a manual focus lens. I mean, there's, there's sometimes we we get the um, semi regular debate about um, our Facebook group uh, being called photography with classic lenses. Yet we allow modern um, manual focus lenses on there, and there are lots of reasons for that. And I think we'll probably talk about that in a, in another episode. But we do allow uh, modern uh, manual focus lenses, and uh, I've got sitting in front of me um, what, in my opinion. The, the best 135 millimeter lens I've ever used, uh, and that's a Samyang uh, 135 millimeter f/2, um, and it's a really weighty lens, um, but it's just stunning. The the pictures that it, it produces are incredible, and I've seen this, um, I've seen head-to-head shots against the uh, the famed 135 f/2 by Canon that uh, Johnny's got experience of using. And I remember looking at the pictures, and I was thinking that some of those pictures are just 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 wrong from the Canon. They just haven't focused it properly. But I've seen many tests done, and it is a case that you know, it just absolutely knocks it out of the park uh, compared to that that Canon lens in terms of sharpness. I mean, yes, we we know sharpness isn't everything, especially when we talk about classic lenses. But I've got to say, when you when you there's a one three five is like a cusp of um, where you want character stroke, where you want sharpness. Um, and I think there's there's at one three five there's definitely a place of both because I think as, as soon as you get past one three five I think really you're you're going to be more interested in getting sharp results rather than uh, pictures of uh, character well I mean, at least that's my view anyway and the the, yeah. the, the Samyang is super razor sharp um, from from f two all all the way through to wherever you might use it and, I, and I've got some great uh, landscape shots with it um, because it just can you can pick out those details at distance so it's a, it's a superb lens but interestingly enough the, the lenses we've been largely talking about have been four and five element lenses um, so we haven't actually talked about the triatar which is a, a, a triplet but uh, the, most of the other lenses we've been talking about there are four and five element lenses where I know that the Samyang I think is an 11 element lens um, and you know, they, I know Samyang can't call something a Tessar, but I don't know if they'd have the nerve to call this a Tessar. Although, not sorry, Tessar Sonar. Um, although I know that the uh, the Zeiss uh, equivalent to this, which is a one one point eight, um, has got twelve elements, I think. And they st- and going back to your point, uh, Johnny, they're still calling that a, a, a Sonar. So uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I've never really got. I've, I've never quite got my head around what what makes a Sonar. So I, I guess I I I, I think. Um, I will just say based on, and I've read about this, you know, I looked at it again last night, but I've, I've looked into this stuff quite a bit in the past. Ultimately a sonar is whatever the hell Zeiss wants to call a sonar. <laughs> I mean, unless we're talking about a 50 millimeter lens, either the F2 or the F1.5, which are the two classic sonars. Um, there are many versions by many manufacturers um, that replicate almost exactly element for element the original Zeiss lens but once you stray longer than 50 millimeters it's sort of like all bets are off I mean Zeiss is going to call a sonar whatever they want to call a sonar and then other manufacturers are going to maybe if they can't call it a sonar 
they're going to say it's a sonar design because, hey, who knows what a sonar design is once you get past 50 millimeters. So it's it, it, to me, it's a really fascinating mix of um, uh, commerce and technology because, yeah, there, there, there's really no way to, in some way, you could call almost anything a sonar that's 135 because you could probably find a formula that looks like a sonar. Right. I mean, it, but some of them are straight up Tessars, really, if you if you really look at what the formulas are or they're triplets, but they get called sonars. So it's it's very interesting um, how there's kind of no no rules here. Once once you start calling something a sonar, that's not a 50 millimeter. So one, one of the things that's interesting and maybe because of our classic lens Facebook page, we've driven up the price. Now that we have so many members, <laughs> when I started buying these 135 millimeter lenses, I was buying them for 25 or 30 dollars. That, that the Super Takumara 135 3.5, which I still think is a nice lens that has some interesting character. I, I bought those, I think I have had four of them and sold them for more than, than what I bought them for. But I, I think I paid 25 dollars in some cases for mint condition lenses with a, with a hood and caps. And a case, a case which I which I throw away because I don't like other cases. But um, now those things are you know, getting up into the sixty seventy dollar range. Or if you want to buy one that's really clean, put on it. So um, for one reason or another, people have discovered, I guess, that you can use these lenses on modern cameras and and and, and mirrorless cameras are taking off. So the prices are a lot higher than they used to be. Yeah. I think the the one three five three four five uh, Pentax. I, I think you've had a few of them, Carl. But I've 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 had a uh, a couple of them pass through my hands, and it was one of those lenses that I really loved uh, when I when I first had it, and I loved the feel of it. Was the way those those Pentax lenses they the the the, the focus feel on them. I think is absolutely wonderful. People talk about Minolta's feeling great, but I, I just love the uh, the old uh, the old Pentax lenses. I think they're absolutely fantastic. But I found I I got. I got quite bored of that uh, lens you know, very, very quickly. Um, actually, that just yeah. reminded me. There's, um, I had a message from uh, Ian Hand, who, um, who listens to the podcast. So, well, hello, Ian. Um, and um, apart from sending me a, uh, some information about uh, uh, lens constructions, which I'll uh, I'll look at when I, when I get the chance, but he mentioned that the um, the the Pentax one three five three point five is a is again it's a sonar design so uh, I think I I need go. to have a bit more of a chat with uh, with with Ian to um, see what what it is that makes definitively what what a what a sonar actually is yeah <laughs> well I think we've about covered everything um, regarding one three five lenses for the week so let's talk about new acquisitions and Simon why don't you go first yeah well I've I've got an interesting lens. I've, I've posted a few pictures up um, in the, uh, well, I think I've actually put one on Flickr for once as well. But uh, um, And it's the Seven Artisans 50mm f1.1, which uh, I bought uh, shortly after meeting uh, Hamish Gill from uh, 35mmc, his, uh, his blog post, and he sells this lens. And uh, I just thought, well, I, I really need this lens. Um, and it's it, it's it's particularly interesting because there's a little bit of a debate over exactly what it is. Um, was, I was led to believe it's a sonar. Um, there are conversations on the internet calling it an Ultron uh, design, um, 
and then there were other conversations saying that the the lens diagram on 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 the of the original packaging, uh, not the one I've got, but uh, must have been a, an older packet, um, had a had a lens diagram, but didn't actually belong to the lens that was in the box. Um, so uh, I'm 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 taking the view that it it is a sonar because um, because it looks like a sonar in in terms of the photographs. Um, in particularly, oh. I was really taken by just how similar um, the shots are when you're looking through the uh, through the viewfinder uh, just how similar the look is to um, a Jupiter 3 or uh, a 50 1.5 uh, Sonar by Zeiss it just looks exactly the same um, there's even the sort of slightly washed out look that you that you get with those lenses as well and it was I think it's really refreshing that you know, somebody's bought a brand new lens to the market and it just looks like an old lens now it could be that they've literally just taken a, an old lens design and manufactured it remanufactured it rather than recalculating it and doing whatever and as far as I'm concerned I, I don't really care which way they did it because it feels like an old lens and it looks like an old lens and that makes me feel less guilty about it not being an old lens because uh, I, I always feel a little bit awkward when I'm uh, especially when I'm sharing pictures on photography with classic lenses, if I'm using a effectively a brand new lens um, and I'm it's, I'm able to post it in there because it's a manual lens, but yeah, that's 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 how we 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 ultimately uh, made the rules. So I shouldn't feel that bad, but I feel I feel particularly good about the fact that it looks like an old lens. So that just uh, that makes me feel that much better. Oh, Simon, you're in love, aren't you? I am. I do like it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I I gotta say I I I'm not sure I think it really has a sonar rendering though. I mean, the the pictures you posted are interesting, but I think that the bokeh looks really busy to me compared to an actual sonar. And I I wonder if I I'm just kind of spitballing here, but I mean there was that diagram on the box for the lens, which you would think maybe they would put the actual formula on the box, but maybe they haven't. But to me, it looked more like a, a hybrid where you had the front half of the lens being a sonar and the back half being the back of a Gauss lens, which might be why some people are saying it's an Ultron because it looks more like a hybrid design. And to me, I mean, the, the rendering to me looks much more like a hybrid in that regard. Because I think it, you know, a, a actual sonar to me seems to have a less busy rendering than that. And I'm not. I'm not really saying it's bad. I'm just saying it. It looks different to me. That's all. I, th I think. I mean, I've I've mentioned it. I'm I'm going to do a head to head against my uh, excellent against my yeah. size. Um, because cool. because ultimately the the photographs I've been sharing they've been taken at one point one. Yeah. Uh, the difference between one point one and one point five it doesn't sound much, but it is actually pretty significant. Oh yeah. Um, so so that will have a a, a definite uh, impact on the out of focus rendering. Plus also the the kind of shots I've I've, I've shared of of being different from what I've been doing with uh, with the with with the Zeiss and with the Jupiter three. So it's it, it's it's difficult to say, but um, and also and a final also point was uh, that when you're talking about the busy backgrounds, well, some of those shots just had very busy backgrounds. So uh, who who knows what a, a a proper sonar would have actually done with those backgrounds? Right, right, yep, sure. So it's interesting. I I, I guess I've been thinking about buying it enough that now on the banner on the side of the eBay page, that lens is always there, staring at my face. But you know what? If I was going to spend three hundred and sixty-nine dollars, I think I finally would buy a um, a planar, which I've never done. Never had that lens. 
Uh, I tried at least one time. Um, I, I can tell you my new acquisitions is more things than you think. <laughs> no, maybe not. So um, I, I don't have the ability to use uh, uh, any of my lenses with a um, context kit, inner or outer bayonet mount. So I, I bought one of those adapters that comes with a free gift, Helios 103s and I'll have six of those and I can compare it to the ones that I have. Maybe this one will be others and, and it'll be my new one. And then I have an adapter coming so that I can use an exacto lens because I bought that zebra pan color for my um, Sony, which is a really nice lens. And um, as you know, I had a failure in trying to get a Petri 7S Greenomatic camera after Johnny raved <laughs> about it last week. And it came, and the guy said that it looked fine. And um, what he meant was that you could cock it, and you could push the shutter button, and it made a sound. And, but the shutter was locked. So I found another one on eBay, which is a bit more expensive. And I, I emailed back and forth with the guy, and he confirmed that everything works on it. And so it's due to come tomorrow. So I'm, I may have a bit. But the other one was nice. The other one had a 1.9 lens, and I think those are a little bit harder to get. This is a 2.8. Johnny, I don't know what yours has, so it's, it's a slower lens, but it looks, yeah. it looks cool. It yeah, looks cool. I, that that's the um, that's the two point eight is the Tessar version, which I mean should perform great if it works. And then um, sometimes while we're doing these podcasts, when people are talking, if they get boring, I look on eBay, and, um, and, and I only do that when you're talking. That's interesting. <laughs> and Simon or, or Johnny. And, a little weeks ago told me that now that I have this Sony Alpha 7.2, I was going to have to try all the lenses that I've had before over again to see if they're if they're really good. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. But then I <laughs> that Canon FL lens just came alive on the Sony. And so um, while we were talking, I was looking at a Super Takamar 51.4, pretty yellow lens and remembering how nice it was to focus because Simon was talking about that too and I hit the buy it now button so my news <laughs> I did during the podcast and it's it's on the way from somewhere out west in Washington <laughs> oh we know you so well Carl <laughs> Johnny have you have you got any new acquisitions <laughs> um uh, uh sort of <laughs> um uh, I, I yes, it's not here yet. I uh, so I've talked. I know in previous episodes about my Canon 4SB, um, which is a like a screw mount clone. Which I I've completely fallen in love with that camera um, to the point where now I know that there was one model um, that ahead of that, or well, there was one further design development on that camera, which was a the 4SB2, which has a few um, slight differences, which is by it's considered by many to be the finest example of a Leica uh, screw mount camera, Barnack style camera ever made. So I broke down and got one of those cheap from Japan of all places. Um, so that is on the way, and maybe for next episode or episode after, I'll I'll have that one. Um, uh, but no, I've I've just I've been shooting also the the greenomatic which we mentioned in last episode, which mine is knock on wood, uh, working like a champ. Um, uh, so I've kind of been just shooting the most recent new acquisitions quite a bit here the past uh, few weeks. So Johnny, I was looking at that Canon camera. I've been yeah. looking at it ever since you talked about it, even though I don't need it because I like my Canon Seven. Yeah. But, um, I realized there's a lot of old Canon rangefinders, and one that I kept coming back to every time I was looking at the camera that you bought 
this kept popping up a Canon VL. Yeah. Yeah. What's the difference? Is it a bigger camera? Uh, no, it's actually smaller than your Canon Seven, yeah. a little bit smaller. It's the same, you know, sort of arrangement where it's got the normal SLR style back, you know, hinged back. Uh -huh. um, but it, that's the one that has a bottom winder, so it you, it actually is a trigger wind on the bottom. If you're talking about the same one, um, it's oh, no, a really no, no. on top. It is on the top. All right. Well, it actually that that one has a there's a version of it that has a both top and bottom wind. Um, and then there's a top wine version, but no, it's actually a little bit smaller than your Canon seven. Um, those are really nice cameras. And, um, that came before the, uh, Canon P, which I know her son is a huge fan of the Canon P. Um, so a lot of, a lot of people would probably tell you, Carl, to, to just go right ahead and get the Canon P. Um, but yeah, those, those are, those are really interesting cameras that are kind of, they fall in between, um, the, the design style of the the old Leica clones, and then what would become like the Canon Seven. So, yeah, so, this, so yeah. this one has a, a dial to adjust the uh, the rangefinder window from fifty to thirty-five. Yeah, it's got the right. It's got the frame line the frame line dial built in, which is a really nice feature of those Canons. Yeah, yeah. that's a it's a nice camera. There's we have um, a version of that one at the shop that's been there for a while that I keep eyeing. <laughs> I, I wouldn't <laughs> mind having it myself. So this one's 168. It was just serviced and um, clear, bright viewfinder, shutter's perfect. Yeah. God, I'm not going to hit it by it now right now. But... Sounds, sounds all right to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think on that bombshell that uh, Carl isn't going to buy a, a second <laughs> item during this podcast, um, I, I think we'll uh, we'll round things off. So. Um, uh, Johnny, uh, would you like to tell us how people can follow you uh, in places on social media? Sure. Uh, you will find me in the Photography with Classic Lenses Facebook group, of course. Um, you can find me on Instagram at at Photography. I post, try to post there pretty much every day. And pretty much every day you can find me in the sales department at Central Camera Company in Chicago. And Cole? Okay, on the Photography with Classic Lenses Facebook page, on Instagram is Carl Havens, all lowercase with an underscore in between, and then on um, Flickr is Carl Havens with capital K and a capital H, nothing in between the two. And I'm in a few places, I'm on Instagram as, actually, I've changed it, because I was on a Simon P. Forster, I've now changed that to Simon Forster Photographic. Um, more on that at the end of this uh, sentence um, because I'm also on Flickr uh, as Simon Forster I have an eBay shop that you can do a, a seller search for It's Fozzy but I now have a website uh, well, alright yes, oh, yes my, my own website okay. all mine um, and it's uh, at the moment it's just populated with KNF adapters and a few uh, CPL uh, polarizing filters but you can find that website as uh, on www.simonforsterphotographic.co.uk I don't think you can find that on the search engine yet um, but uh, yeah that site is is now live I haven't decided whether I'm actually going to start selling lenses on there we'll just keep those on eBay at the moment um, and it's not got the full range of adapters on there at this moment and that's that's another thing I've uh, from one of the things that happened at the uh, photography show with KNF was uh, they brought along with them uh, some um, Fuji GFX adapters 
Um, so now I've got ah, nice. most of what they do. In fact, um, I did actually sell two at the show, so I haven't, I'm, I'm going to do those left. And they were the um, GFX to uh, Nikon uh, AIS ledgers. They were the, they were the two that went. Actually, as a, another quick aside, um, the most popular adapter at the show were for Nikon AF lenses going onto Fuji. That was what? easily, yeah. That was I sold out on. Um, Holy cow! They, what are you people thinking? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's uh, some, something was was definitely going right with Fuji at, at, at the show because they were flying off the shelves for uh, wow. ma- mainly so, to Nikon users. So, so, so basically, what we're saying here is there are a bunch of desperate Nikon users who cannot wait till Nikon comes out with their own mirrorless camera and they got a Fuji. Exactly. In the meantime? Exactly. Oh, people. What are we going to do with you people? So, Simon, you know, there's a www.simonfosterphotography.co.uk. And he's a, and it's a different person who's a photographer. And he's the creative director and audiovisual lead of the Antarctica 2 expedition. Yeah, that's, well, that that's, that's me. That's me, too. Come on. <laughs> with, a, with a beautiful picture of the Northern Lights, the guy that doesn't look like you, and he's wearing a a hat made out it looks like wolf skin or something like that. Yeah, well, well, oh boy. Yeah, when 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 it, the, the spelling of Forster can be can be quite critical. Oops, it? Oops, it's for, oh, it's Foster. I didn't. Ah, there, there you go. Yeah, come on, get the R in there. Yeah, the real Simon the has an R. Come on. That's it. I didn't put in the R. And it doesn't okay. it, it doesn't have two R's and an extra E R. That was uh, the other the other spelling is uh, Forrester or, or Forrester, as you might not say. Not the tree in, in chopper. We don't want the tree chopper. Not yeah. him. Well, actually, that that was something I did did a bit of research on where my name came from, and um, there's a, there are a few potential ones, but the the, the, the one that's most likely is it, it is that my ancestors come from a long line of peasants that worked in the forest so uh, and it is a derivation of uh, Forrester um, so uh, so there we go but uh, anyway we're uh, we're at the end of the podcast so um, thank you very much for joining us sorry for um, leaving you out in the cold last week uh, but we are back and we'll be back again next week so uh, yeah. I hope you've enjoyed it today and uh, we look forward to you joining us again goodbye oh, but, oh by the oh, way if, oh, you, if you look yeah 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 uh, let's not forget if you're looking for Mehdi Buhalasa he is safely on his bed listening to the podcast with his cat. <laughs> He's finally found a safe way to listen. So cheers, buddy. <laughs> goodbye. 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 Goodbye, all. There's this. No, I was thinking things like that. I thought, oh, we could do a podcast. We could do a podcast. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just, I, I just going to say, I, I just heard Johnny just come in like Darth Vader. Then I just heard, it, I heard his breath, and I thought that sounded like Johnny, and then his face appears. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning. Good morning, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs>